You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. On a beautiful Wednesday in early July, Spain and Fitz, we got some breaking news. Sarah Spain solo tonight, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And yes, on this beautiful July day, uh, we have been blessed by the content gods. Deal between these two teams came close to happening a couple of weeks back, and talks never really evaporated. The two sides stayed in contact, and Carolina remained as really the best and lone hope for Baker Mayfield, where he would wind up, where he would be traded. And so in return, the Cleveland Browns get back a conditional 2024 fifth-round draft pick that could go up to a fourth-round draft pick based on playtime here. Obviously, the Browns will pay $10.5 million of Baker Mayfield's $18.85 million salary for the season. The Carolina Panthers are paying $4.85 million of Baker's salary, and Baker is giving back some money that he can earn in incentives. But now the Carolina Panthers have Baker Mayfield, and they have Sam Darnold, and they are planning to have a quarterback competition this summer, best quarterback wins, but clearly they've been interested in Baker all along. And you'd have to think that he will have a good shot of starting on opening day. And if he does start on opening day, it will be Carolina versus Cleveland. Baker will certainly have a lot to play for on opening day. Ah, uh, that's right. We're done talking about Baker versus the Browns, and we've moved on to Baker versus the Browns in week one. Uh, to offer a little context on this move, we'll bring in co-host of The Next Level with Emmett and Jared on ESPN Cleveland. It's Emmett Golden. Emmett, what, what do you make of this move, and, and is this where you saw Baker ending up? Yeah, ultimately, you know, I think we all saw and, and just kept hearing uh, the Panthers, the Panthers, and every once in a while you might hear the Seahawks floated out there, but it definitely felt like he would end up in Carolina at some point. Look, the Browns just needed to get this done. There was no way they wanted to start training camp with Baker on the roster and just, you know, things would be uncomfortable because I'm pretty sure he would have showed up, um, and that would have been a very awkward quarterback room and, and awkward practice, so they needed to get it done and they got it done yeah I mean I think uh, there were people who thought maybe they would want to hang on on the off chance that this Deshaun Watson thing does mean he's out for the full season they might feel better but I think it got too awkward right it just wasn't feasible to imagine uh, convincing Baker to suit up for them again yeah I mean not only that I mean I don't think Baker ever planned on coming back yeah you know he, he wrote a dear john letter to the uh fans of cleveland <laughs> before the browns ever traded for deshaun watson just when there was a report that hey you know the browns might be interested he jumped on twitter and told the browns fans goodbye i even think back when uh hugh jackson was fired and he picked up a assistant coaching job in uh cincinnati and baker got after him in the media he's not a let bygones be bygones guy so i don't think Baker was ever open to coming back and playing for the Browns regardless of what happened with Deshaun Watson uh, I think the Browns may have been open with it but they they know who Baker is a lot better than we do and I think they understood that that was just off the table as soon as they got uh, paired with Deshaun Watson Emmett Golden is with me here on Spain and Fitz, co-host of The Next Level with Emmett and Gerard on ESPN Cleveland. You can follow him at egoldie80. 
So it sounded like in the past you thought they would wait until the final punishment, or at least the punishment with the potential for more, would land on Watson. Why do you think they changed their mind? They just had an opportunity to unload Baker, and they wanted to make sure they didn't lose that window? Yeah, I think that – and I also think Baker finally said, you know what, I'll give up $3 million. Um, I believe that was always part of it, but, you know, as I, I, I kind of talk about the personality that Baker has, I'm sure he was looking at it initially like, no, I'm not going to sacrifice any money and help you get rid of me. But I think his perspective may have changed to, you know what, if I give up this $3 million, I'm helping myself. I'm getting another opportunity. And he's got a great opportunity there in Carolina. I mean, I, you know, I heard the, the clip, there will be an open quarterback competition, but Baker Mayfield's better than Sam Darnold. There's no doubt he's going to have an opportunity. And there is no better Baker Mayfield than ticked off Baker Mayfield. <laughs> so I have to think he realized that and said, you know what, let me just lay this $3 million down. Easy to say, right? Let me just lay this $3 million down and take, uh, and take advantage of this opportunity. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, talking to Emmett Golden about the Baker move finally unloaded from Cleveland and now allegedly there will be a quarterback competition. We know what they say about when you got two quarterbacks, uh, particularly when one of them is much more highly paid but has been less successful. A lot of people um, are sort of split on whether or not this job is is Darnold's to lose or Baker's to lose. What are they getting in Baker Mayfield? And I know it's there's a lot of emotion connected to him. See if you could separate how you feel as someone who's been listening to Cleveland Browns fans for years and maybe think a little bit about maybe his health being much improved this year. What do you think he can offer the Panthers? I think like the Baker's biggest issue, I would say he he only he really only has two issues. He's a he's a good quarterback. The first one is he's inconsistent. And you know, when uh, things are at their best, he typically doesn't play well, which sounds weird. When his back's against the wall, you are getting a guy that's going to show up. He's going to make unbelievable throws. He's going to come in there with fire. And and nine times out of ten, he's going to give you a great opportunity um, to win the game. So that's what they're getting on the field. Now, we'll see if – what he has gone through in Cleveland has kind of changed him off the field because Baker is a very mm. proud guy. Um, I don't want to use the word arrogant because there's a negative connotation with it, so I'll say he's a very proud guy. And, you know, sometimes the attitude didn't really measure up to the production on the field. And, you know, in sports, guys can handle anything if you're playing well. Right. They'll handle uh, pride. They'll handle anything, you know, off the field as long as you're playing well. But if you're not, then that type of stuff can get a little annoying. And I think mm-hmm. uh, as long as he, you know, remains humble and, and hey, you got to believe in yourself. I'm not telling him, uh, you know, to not have confidence. But if, if he can walk in there and be humble and then just, you know, prove the Cleveland Browns and everybody else wrong, uh, the Carolina Panthers will have a hell of a quarterback this year. But that inconsistency is the reason he's available. I don't know what they're going to get in the future. Spain and Fitz, Emmett Golden talking about this Baker Mayfield move. Uh, Robbie Anderson in a bit of a pickle. Uh, Back in (laughs) April, there was a post that said that the Panthers would be the most likely landing spot for Baker. And he tweeted out, no. And now, of course, that is his quarterback. He said, I don't have an issue with Baker. Stop trying to paint that narrative. I said what I said. You know, that was just me thinking out loud. My thoughts. 
I was just trying to be a good teammate to my quarterback. That's it. Just trying to defend the guy who is my quarterback in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Uh, nobody knows what you're saying. We don't believe you. What <laughs> happens now? And knowing Baker as well as you do, how does that go down when he arrives uh, with the Panthers? Yeah, it's not going to be a problem at first. Right? It, it, it won't be. Baker will walk in there and, you know, hey, man, if I want to get another contract, an extension, especially a big one, I got to come in here and play well. Um, if things start to go south, then I think that's when that type of stuff gets remembered. Oh, uh, you didn't even want me here. You know, uh, mm. you gave up on that route. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you want this guy to be the quarterback and all of that junk can happen. But I don't think it will start there. Uh, if Baker can't afford. He just can't afford it. You know, he, number one, a former number one overall pick. He had dreams of, you know, $200 million contracts in his future. And at one point in his career, it looked like he might get it. Right now, it doesn't seem that way. So he can't hold on to any grudges if he wants to cash a big paycheck next season. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I don't know why. Sometimes we can't explain these things. I'm rooting for Baker. I, I like that he played through injury. He seems like he cares a whole lot and he works really hard. And I root for those people uh, until they do something that I hate, and then I turn on them immediately. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Emmett, thanks so much for the time. I know you've had a long day or two, so appreciate your insight. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. I appreciate it. Emmett Golden, co-host of The Next Level with Emmett and Gerard on ESPN Cleveland, joining me here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up, so many stories, so little time. You know how we do around here. It's Quickies next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. On a Wednesday, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Going to get into some NBA free agency, the latest in college football news. Going to continue our NFL two-a-days, getting close to camp. So in the meantime, we got to get to all the other sports news of the day, and we do that here quickly. Last thought here on that deal between the Browns and the Panthers. Baker Mayfield gets sent to Carolina, and the Browns lose – the potential savior if things go poorly in the Watson negotiations and he gets suspended for a year plus. Uh, They do have Josh Dobbs and Jacoby Brissett, so Baker Mayfield is off. And Bart Scott on Barton Hahn today said that a lot of this deal is going to be a reflection on head coach for the Panthers, Matt Rule. This is a play for Matt Rule to save his job because if they don't go to the postseason, they don't go to playoffs with all the transactions that this man has made from trading you know, uh, their, their star tight end to, to Jacksonville for a cornerback that's not even on the roster anymore. You know what I mean? They w- made a trade for Stephon Gilmore. That didn't work out. Gave Cam Newton $10 million for half of a season, which really prorates to $20 million for a guy that you could have got for nothing. And they gave him a six-year deal, and they haven't done anything anything they haven't won anything you heard David Tabber he really is upset and saying that hey you know things are going to change this is the richest owner in all of football and he's not going to sit around and wait and be patient when there's no results that's being that's coming from Matt Rule after he gave him a lucrative six-year contract yeah uh, Warren Sharp Sharp Football pointed out that since Tepper bought the Panthers the team's 22 and 43 fifth worst record in the NFL zero winning season zero playoff appearances won only five games for three straight years, and in this upcoming season, they're only favored in two of 17 games. Now, it's not Baker uh, is not responsible for the other moves that brought the quarterbacks that they have their way, but when you cake it all in its totality, they have traded away a second, third, fourth, fourth, fifth, and sixth for a quarterback room that has Darnold, Mayfield, and Matt Corral. So, yeah, Matt Rule hoping that something happens here to help get some uh, some wins in the win column for that team 
uh, as it's been a rough going for him and, and Tepper. All right, next story. Uh, we've been keeping an eye on Wimbledon around here. As I said yesterday, our favorites are mostly out, but Rafa Nadal is still in. And this is what it sounded like as he uh, clinched his way to the semis. And yet again, Rafael Nadal finds a way. Somehow, some way. I'm not sure how. He had an ab injury. You remember his last big win. People wondered about how injuries might take down his legendary career. And yet here he is back in the semis. And this will be an easy one for me to watch without asking who I might be rooting for. Uh, that's going to be clear because he'll be taking on Nick Kyrgios. Here's how his victory sounded. It's wide Kyrgios with a breakthrough into his first major semifinal. 6-3-7-6. Just poised enough. Quite professional. And very convincing. Yeah, Kyrgios' first ever Grand Slam semi. We talked about him a bit yesterday. He's set in court next month on a charge that he allegedly assaulted a former girlfriend. He's had multiple fines in this Wimbledon run alone. He's intentionally wearing things that violate dress code and smirking and acting like he's above everybody else and uh, has been called a bully by his opponents. Uh, some people appear to enjoy the whole act. Uh, you heard a lot of cheering there when he clinched his spot in the semi. Uh, I, for one, can do without it. Next story. Also talked about Max Scherzer last night making his debut. First start since May 18th. Debut post-injury, I should say. 11 strikeouts for the Mets and Max Scherzer in that one. And, you know, as I said last night, the success of the Mets early on is thrilling for fans. The way that they held up in his absence, a thrill. Now it's just a matter of seeing if they can hang on the duration of the season, the, the, the setbacks, late setbacks for the Mets and the way things sometimes fall apart. Uh, you always have that in the back of your mind, but Scherzer certainly silenced anyone who was worried about how he might come back from injury. Six innings, two hits, no runs, 11 strikeouts, making guys look silly yesterday. All right, next story. Speaking of silly or beautiful and meaningful, depending on how you see it, Aaron Rodgers has gotten his first tattoo. He proudly posted about it on Instagram, giving props to his tattoo artist. Uh, we want to get your thoughts on it. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. I would like for you to do your best uh, description. See if you can explain the elements of the tattoo. Uh, who describes best what the heck's going on. Uh, and I also would like anyone who's brave enough to offer up their worst tattoo. Did you get a bad one? Did you later cover it up? Do you have a, a photo of the original? Do you have an explanation of how and why you got said bad tattoo? We would love to see it. We would love to hear it. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. Um, the best description of Aaron Rodgers, very complicated tattoo that I would describe as having a body of water, a fan, some astrological cosmetological symbols, an eye, maybe the third eye, a lion that's angry and a lion that's calm, a bunch of uh, diagrams and numbers and letters. Uh, the best way I've seen it described is by at Kyle A. Madsen, who wrote Tattoo Artist. So what do you want to do today? Aaron Rodgers, have you ever heard Kyrie Irving talk? 
artist. Say no more, fam. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the tattoo, I, uh, this is a visual exercise. I highly recommend checking it out. And uh, I'll post on, on Twitter, get y'all to try to explain what's going on and maybe share some of your terrible tattoos. Uh, all right, next story. Uh, President Biden has received Brittany Griner's letter and has had a call with Brittany Griner's wife, has said he is working to get the WNBA superstar home in addition to working on the other Americans that are held prisoner and unlawfully detained, uh, wrongfully detained in Russia. Uh, you don't know exactly how much can be done or will be done. It's very complicated. As I always say, TJ Quinn is crushing the coverage of this and all the different aspects of it. But I think the increased pressure on Biden and the public pronouncements uh, that he understands the situation and has been in contact with her and her wife are certainly a, a, a bonus. And we'll see this weekend, the WNBA All-Star Game here in Chicago, some moments recognizing Brittany as she continues to be held uh, out in Russia. So hopefully some progress in that space. All right, next story. Sue Bird and Dinah Taurasi are on the cover of the NBA 2K23 WNBA edition. Now, this is simultaneously super exciting and has caused a couple conversations about whether that those are the right two to put on the cover. Uh, Katie Barnes wrote an excellent piece about Jonquel Jones and who gets to be a star in the WNBA. There's always conversations about skin color and sexuality and presentation and how that affects the marketability and success, popularity, uh, sponsors, etc. of stars. I, I don't have an issue with Sue and Diana. It took a long time for this edition to come out. And they went with Candace last year. They go with Bird and Trossi. They are two recognizable names with great personalities who are great longtime players. You could certainly argue for some others. Um, and I would argue that Skylar Diggins would probably argue for someone other than DT based solely on her coach saying it's not an all-star game without Tarasi. Skylar Diggins posts the clown emoji and sets off potential trade rumors. Yeah, that's right. Calling your coach a clown in emoji form may be the final straw there. We'll keep you updated on that story too. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, what's the next move when it comes to conference realignment in college football? Should they just get to do a transfer portal like the players do? Throw their hat in the ring? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's solo Spain on a Wednesday. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We've been trying to keep up with college football, but the moves are coming fast and furious, and the questions about what's next around the corner are everywhere. So to help us out with that, Heather Dinich, who is always a step ahead, joins me now, our ESPN college football reporter. I want to start with the tweet I just saw you sent to Kevin Nagandi. Let's just run the transfer portal for universities. If you don't like where you're at, throw your name in. Let everyone see your car. It's problem solved. Uh, should we just do that? At this point, should we just... Let everybody try to figure out where they want to be, make a pitch, and, and redo everything while we're at it here? Or are we thinking that uh, the couple teams left out of the major super conferences now are just sort of SOL? Well, it would be much easier because people would know who's doing what. Because right now there is more mistrust. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when this happened a year ago with Oklahoma and Texas, I'll never forget asking outgoing commissioner Big 12 about – Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, who do you trust right now? And he said, myself. Hmm. And that's that's where we're at. And if everybody just said, this is where I want to go, this is what I want to do, and just laid it all out on the table, then I, I feel like 
this this would get done a lot faster. But instead, you have there's people telling me that you know people go to these meetings on Zoom and say one thing, and then they turn around and get on their cell phones and they try to go somewhere else. <clears throat> and so nobody really knows anyone's true intentions right now, which is making things very difficult. And as one person in the Pac-12 told me, everyone is talking, but no one is saying anything. And so you've got the Big 12 and the Pac-12 talking, the Pac-12 and the ACC. Everybody wants to know what Notre Dame is going to do. They don't have to do anything. They're, they're happy sitting there watching what's going on right now, trying to figure it out. So not a lot of answers. I mean, that's just the honest truth. People are trying to figure out what the most valuable move is for them in their university. Heather, who do you blame more? The people on the side of the quote-unquote alliance who lied and didn't stand by their word, or the people who believed that that sort of shake and talk about it instead of make contracts and everything else uh, would be binding and that they were safe? Who do you blame more, the, the, the gullible ones or the manipulative ones? So that's an interesting question. I think the answer to that is college athletics as a whole. I mean, this stems, all of this stems from a failure of leadership Mm -hmm. from the NCAA on down for years. Because this is a boiling point of inaction, essentially. And so here we are at a pivotal point in college athletics where – Everyone is trying to get the most money. Why, Sarah? Because of things like name, image, and likeness. When Ohio State's head coach comes out and says publicly, it's going to cost about $13 million to keep my roster intact. If that doesn't make your jaw drop at what kind of a world are we living in right now, I mean, and that's that's where it's at. So to me – All of this stems from a failure of leadership for a long time. And now this is where it's at, and it's survival of the fittest. Heather Dinich is with me here, Solo Spain, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, Let's take a look at the the leagues that have options or or maybe stuck needing to find out a fix. Big 12 is pretty stable compared to the other two uh, leagues in the ACC and the Pac-12. Would they look to grab a couple more teams and add them and become a bit bigger and more super conferency, or are they better served by standing pat? Well, it's on the table. They're certainly talking about that. Sources I've talked to in the Big 12 have said that their presidents and chancellors want to be aggressive about adding some teams from the Pac-12. They feel in a much better position, obviously, than they were at this time a year ago when they were trying to make themselves whole again. So they feel like they're in the greater position of power. It's important for people to remember, though, that I am talking to people, athletic directors and presidents in some of these leagues, who are happy where they are in the ACC, in the Pac-12, who want to stay. Not everyone is trying to jump ship. So what's happening right now is all options are on the table. The Big 12 is talking about adding Pac-12 teams. The They're also talking about merging together and becoming Mm. one larger conference um, to sort of at least be in that third place behind the SEC and the Big Ten. But then you have to ask the question, well, is there enough TV revenue that everyone in that league would then be happy? Or would there be certain schools asking for a bigger piece of the pie? Um, 
all of those questions have yet to be answered. Um, but the Pac-12 has also been talking to the ACC, which gets really tricky because the ACC teams are contractually legally bound through TV rights to that league through 2036. And then, Sarah, at the end of the day, the biggest X factor in all of it is Notre Dame. I haven't spoken to one person in any conference who's not sitting and waiting to figure out what Notre Dame is going to do, if they're going to do anything at all. What's the best option for Notre Dame in the new landscape? Well, the one that makes the most sense is the Big Ten. Geographically, philosophically, their rival is going to be in there, USC. Um, I think one concern, you know, just with staying independent is what if, and this is just a hypothetical, another one to throw at you, the Big Ten and the SEC, when they're at 16 teams, they say we're going to play a 10-game conference schedule. How does that change who Notre Dame can schedule? (laughs) Because if USC is playing 10 Big Ten games a year, the likes of Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, do they want to play Notre Dame every year too? I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe they do. So there are some considerations to that too. Now, Jack Swarbrick has told me on the record before this all happened, and he's been very consistent with this, three things that would cause them to reconsider their independent status. One is the loss of a fair route to the postseason. One is the loss of a committed TV broadcast partner. And the third is financial consequences consequences that would be so dire it would cause them to reconsider, right? And I think that TV isn't going to be a problem. I don't think a fair route to the postseason is going to be a problem because I don't think the SEC would favor a playoff that pushes Notre Dame towards the Big Ten. That doesn't make sense. And and as long as you've got two 16-team leagues, you would think that they want the biggest playoff possible to get as many teams in. So the more at-larges there are, the better it is for Notre Dame as an independent. Um, So there are certainly pros and cons, but they are in no rush to make a decision. Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, talking to ESPN College football reporter Heather Dinich at CFB Heather is where you can follow her. Um, I- I'm wondering, and we we asked somebody this last week and got a very uh, flowery response that sort of avoided the question, but for the lowest level teams in the new look Big Ten or in the Pac-12, if half the Pac-12 decides to go join somewhere else but doesn't involve them, is there a chance of just being eliminated from the conferences that they're in because it's a priority to involve better schools that are now joining, or is big always better? Well, not only the lower-level teams, but, like, what, I mean, what about Stanford and Cal? They're like right. so they might not be winning the national championship in college football, but they are phenomenal academic institutions with great Olympic sports. I mean, Arizona, Arizona State, like Vanderbilt, people I mean, yes, they could be impacted. And at the end of the day, um, what happens to them? I don't know. Where like do they just form their own conference? Do they become independent? I certainly don't have the answers to those questions, but mm. You know, you can also step back and look at it as like, well, where's Vanderbilt right now? (laughs) 
they're right. they're kind of there in the SEC. You know, good luck, Vandy. Um, and and that's you have that from top to bottom in every single conference, right? So there there is always that you've got your you've got your cellar dwellers in each league. But as to whether or not they get, I don't think anybody's going to get the boot. But to be left behind is certainly a possibility. Heather, always great to have you on. I'm sure this has been a ton of work the last few days, but keep it up. I appreciate the insight. Thank you so much for having me on. Heather Dinich with me here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance flexes to fit your business's needs. From quick repairs to adjustable coverages and even payment options, Progressive Commercial makes it easy to get what you need. Quote today in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Our ESPN Radio two-a-days roll on next with the Giants. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Yeah, we're doing our two-a-days as we get ready for camp. The order in which we're doing it pairs the Jets and Giants. Now, that's not because of geographical location. It's going worst to play, worst to best playoff record-wise. So we started with the Lions and Jags, unfortunately, for New York, and it surrounds the Jets and the Giants are up next. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And to talk about one half of those teams, the Giants side, Dan Duggan, Giants reporter for The Athletic, is with us. Let's start with the obvious. This is a make it or break it for Daniel Jones. Uh, They can get out on him after this year. What do you expect with a a new coach, new system, maybe some weapons that will help him out? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the new regime certainly gave themselves that out because, I mean, I think picking up the fifth-year option would have been uh, sort of indefensible based on what he's done these first three years. You have to kind of put him in this spot to either, you know, earn an extension or, you know, worst case, they can franchise him or they can clean their hands. Uh, the problem is I think it would be easy if he is at one end of the extremes. He turns into Josh Allen 2.0 or if he just totally flames out. I think more likely you probably see, like, modest improvement, and then that might put them in a sticky spot. Like, let's say they are seven or eight wins, and he has better stats and, uh, you know, stays healthy. I'm not sure where they go from there. Uh, you know, you're probably not going to be in striking distance to get, you know, a top quarterback in the draft. So, um, obviously, that's the thing that we're fixated on around here, and there's a million different scenarios, but it's so hard to forecast right now because uh, there's so many variables that have to play out. In that case, they would have the option to franchise tag him. I think they're better off figuring out whether he's the guy or not and moving on if he's not going to be great. But I can see how they would be in a tough spot if he's somewhere in the middle and makes some good improvements. They also would not then be able to use that franchise tag on Saquon Barkley. What do you think happens to him if he comes back with a really good season? Yeah, and that's an interesting point. I don't think you know people have uh, made too much mention of. Obviously, you can only use one tag, so it might be the best case scenario for both of those guys if they want to just uh, sort of kick that can down the road, but they can't. Um, so, I mean, again, Jones aside with Saquon, I have a hard time seeing Joe Shane uh, invest the type of contract I assume Saquon would want if he does have this bounce back year that uh, he certainly is expecting to have, and I think there's excitement about what he might be able to do in this offense with the upgraded offensive line. But, you know, Shane's come from Buffalo where they were content to just, you know, spend a third-round pick on a running back, roll him out there, and that was fine. They, you know, they weren't spending big in free agency on running backs. So, uh, you know, it would be hard for me to see them spending like a Christian McCaffrey-type contract on Saquon regardless of what he does this season. Um, you know, he's getting $7 million this year. Uh, I think they just they play it out. And then, again, I just have a hard time seeing a scenario where he's back just based on where Joe Shane's coming from and his background. 
It's Spain and Fitz Solo Spain tonight talking to Dan Duggan. You can follow him at D Duggan, Giants reporter for The Athletic. How much pressure is there on Brian Dayball? Obviously, he recently helped build the Bills up and comes in with a lot of expectation. But this is a Giants team that really can't afford to give a long leash to anyone with the underperformance that they've been packing on year after year. So uh, what does he need to do right off the bat? Yeah, I mean, that's the vicious cycle they've been in here. You know, obviously the, the previous three coaches all were 2-0. Uh, and every time they hire a new one, John Mara says, you know, I want to be more patient, give this guy more time. And then that patience runs out and, and you know, they're back in the same spot. So, uh, yeah, you'd like to think Brian Davis is going to get a longer runway. He's coming in with Joe Shane. I think that might help. Um, but, listen, if, at the end of two years, they're in the same situation that Joe Judge and Pat Sherman were wins and losses-wise. You know, you certainly can't say, oh, he's definitely getting a year three. Um, I, I would think they kind of get a pass this year, though, because there's an understanding of the situation they inherited was such a mess. They have to do so much just to get the salary cap in order. Um, you know, obviously, again, it is a prove year for Daniel Jones. If you move on from him, you're kind of starting from scratch. Uh, so I, I would think that they actually might have to be patient with this regime. But, again, that's easier said than done. Uh, it's not a very patient marketplace, and ownership hasn't proven to be very uh, patient the last couple of years. Yeah, real quick, what is the fan base right now thinking? Uh, have they sort of resigned themselves to, well, I guess this, we're just going to continue to be mediocre for a while, or is patience running thin? No, I mean, I think the optimism is high. It's really funny. I mean, uh, you got to give fans credit for that. But, I mean, listen, if you can't be optimistic in July, <laughs> you know, what's the point of being a fan? But um, I'm kind of worn down by these coaching changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I think fans are, you know, they're buying in. They, oh, well, this is a new regime, and, Dable, you saw what he did in Buffalo, and uh, Shane is certainly a much more modern GM than Dave Gettleman. Um, so I understand that they're optimistic and excited. For me, I'm more of like i got to see it to believe it mode because I just haven't seen it in so long around here. But, no, I think fans, you know, for the most part, even if they understand this year might not be a great year, I think that they hope and believe the franchise is heading the right direction with these two guys leading the way. Let's talk about Kadarius Tony before we get to these uh, these offseason additions. First rounder last year, a lot of expectations and a pretty – non, uh, I guess, unimpressive first year, 420 yards, no touchdowns, threw a punch, got a suspension, only played 10 games because <laughs> of COVID. What are the expectations for him? Yeah, I mean, he's he's the ultimate wild card because basically uh, that game against Dallas, you know, he looked like the most unstoppable player in the league. And then, you know, the rest of the season, he was pretty much a non-factor for a multitude of reasons. It would be one thing if a guy just had one injury, but, I mean, he was like the game of operation. He had a different body part every week. He's in and, in and out of the line. I've been in and out of practice. Just a million different things. Um, even this offseason, you know, you think it's a chance to get a clean slate, new coaching staff, and he skips the first couple of weeks of the voluntary program. Then there was reports of trade rumors, and then all of a sudden he showed up, and he shows up, and he's on the sideline because he had a, a minor knee surgery. So it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. I mean, you see the talent is obvious when he's on the field, but the whole getting him on the field has been the challenge. So – um, you know, the new regime is saying all the right things now because, I mean, obviously I don't think they're trading him at this point. I don't know you know, how serious those talks were, um, but I think you know, they're going to ride it out with him because there is talent there and it just wouldn't really make much sense to give up on a first-rounder uh, a year later. So uh, if it, everything goes right, I mean, he would be a great piece in this offense, especially when you're talking about a guy like Dable who's really creative and I think you could find uh, ways to utilize Tony, but it's really up to him. He has to you know, kind of just show the development you know, professionally and commitment-wise to just be on the field and be accountable and be reliable because he just wasn't that his rookie year. And that's a lot of stuff that was said about him in the pre-draft process. So he kind of has to outrun that, and he hasn't done it yet his first year as a pro. Dan Duggan is with us here, Giants reporter for The Athletic. Before I let you go, Bill Barnwell of our uh, ESPN team here 
But the Giants at number six out of 32 and who had the best offseason. They took 11 players in the draft, added vets at a couple places. Which moves in the offseason do you think are going to be the biggest for them? Wow, that's that's higher than I would have guessed. Just because it was kind of a quiet offseason, they mostly mostly unloaded players, and then you know had a couple of modest free agent signings. I think if you're basing it, I didn't read Bill's piece, but I would guess it's based on the draft. And if you're the Giants, it better be the draft because I mean you had the fifth pick and the seventh pick. That was sort of the one gift that Dave Gettleman left was uh, that additional top ten pick. So you have Kayvon Thibodeau, you have Evan Neal. You know potentially you have the best tackle and the best pass rusher in this draft. And if those guys live up to that, I think that plays a big part in getting this thing turned around finally. If those guys, you know, wash out, which has been the case for a lot of top 10 Giants picks in recent years, uh, you know, they're going to be stuck in the same spot they've been in. But uh, if you're looking for optimism, it has to be the draft and particularly those two guys because you know, that's how you turn it around. And uh, they do have two guys with, with great pedigrees. So uh, that would be definitely the reason for optimism that, you know, they hit those picks and, and kind of they're, they're off on the right foot. Yeah, uh, there certainly can be some optimism when there's a regime change, but like you pointed out, there's been plenty of those in recent years for the Giants, so will this one stick? And I think so much of that depends on what we get out of Daniel Jones. Thanks so much for the insight, Dan. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Dan Duggan, Giants reporter for The Athletic. You can follow him at D Duggan. That's the first half of our two-a-days. We're going to get to the Jets as well, but coming up, we want to hear some of your expectations for the two New York football teams, for Daniel Jones, uh, and and for whether this Dable-led reinvention of a once-great team is actually going to work out. Uh, we'll also continue talking about Baker Mayfield heading to the Carolina Panthers. Who's going to win out in that battle, Darnold versus Mayfield? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We got some good breaking news before the show tonight. Baker Mayfield uh, headed to the Panthers, a trade with the Browns, first reported by NFL Network, ESPN confirmed it. Spain and Fit, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80 were presented by Progressive Insurance. And the move sends the Browns a fourth or fifth round pick in 2024. Uh, Carolina paying $4.85 million of Baker's salary. Browns paying $10.5 million. Still needs a physical, uh, and Bayfield will now uh, allegedly be in a quarterback competition with Sam Darnold. Uh, this felt inevitable. I thought he might go to the Seahawks, but the Panthers were sort of the top choice for a lot of prognosticators ever since the beef first began for Mayfield and Cleveland. Uh, and that's where he ends up. So we'll ask you to do some prognosticating of your own. Do you think Baker Mayfield will win out that starting gig? Or do you think that goes to Sam Darnold? Now, keep in mind, Sam Darnold has a lot more money guaranteed and heading his way than Baker Mayfield. A lot of times teams will make that decision on money instead of talent. How healthy will be Baker when he gets down there? Um, all of that. So we'll ask you that at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain and uh, see what you think of this move and whether Baker's got something, something to bring. I do think he's a talented quarterback. I do think most of the time Baker's confidence, his cockiness, his ego, his swag helps him. I think last season was a real tough read in terms of his abilities because of the turmoil of the team and because of those injuries. So we'll see what he could do for a Panthers team that has seems to have chosen the low budge route and not really taking a big swing for um, a true, real starting quarterback the last couple of years. Hasn't worked out for Matt Rule and company. We'll see 
what this does. Uh, we're doing two a days. We're, we just talked to our Giants reporter. We'll get to Jets next. And I have some, some questions about them as well. We just talked Giants. And Bart Scott was on his show, Barton Hunt, earlier today, talking about what it's going to take for the Giants to improve upon last year's four-win season and succeed. Here's Bart. First of all, Saquon Barkley has to come back and become a, a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. They got Matt Breida, a guy who understands the the running game, you know, coming over, being able to get downhill and understand this is like a one-cut system. Can't be back there dancing like MC Hammer with Saquon with the thunder thighs. He's going to have to commit, and let's see if they can hold him accountable and get him in the ball in space. Can, can Saquon Barkley give us the season that he had his rookie year where he had almost 2,000 yards of all-purpose yards? And if he does that, that is going to open up the world for those receivers, you know, to, to get open down the field. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, as we just discussed, to be optimistic about a team that's now uh, being run by Brian Dable, who recently helped the Bills become a real powerhouse team in the AFC. Uh, Joe Shane, obviously, uh, GM uh, uh, over with the Bills as well. What are those two guys going to bring to the table this January just a couple months ago team president John Mara said we needed to hit the reset button that is absolutely true but they have hit reset a number of times maybe it's time to blow into the cartridge or something instead it hasn't really worked in recent years and one of the through lines has been Daniel Jones and the question is how much can be blamed on an offensive line three different head coaches weapons that were injured and how much is just that he's not the guy and they need to make that decision uh, and they need to make it after this season because there's either a big contract coming his way and years dedicated to him or they need to cut the ties and start fresh and there will be quarterbacks to look at in the draft and there will be an opportunity to reset and that's easier to do one year into a tenure with Dayball and Shane than to keep this relationship going and drag it on and then eventually realizes he's not the guy um, you know uh, Chris Canty was on KJ and Max this morning and he talked about how uh, this is actually a good place for the Giants and Dayball to try to move forward Looking at the NFC East, I I would say that it's probably one of the the worst divisions in football in terms of overall depth. And so it feels like there's an opportunity for Joe Shane and Brian Dable to be a little more competitive than what people would expect coming into this season just because of the pieces that the Giants have in place. And when you look at their strength of schedule, it's 29th in the NFL. So, I mean, I just feel like there's an opportunity. You got a quarterback that that's a veteran. Now you, you've got a defense that was, you know, flirting with being in the top 10 from a year ago. It just feels like now is the time for the Giants to continue to try to ascend. And so, yeah, it's house money for Brian Dable. I mean, he, this is his first year. They're going to give him time to implement his program, but that doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for them to step in and compete for a playoff side spot. Yeah, I mean, it, as crazy as that kind of sounds with the, how, how rough it's been lately uh, between, you know, the competition that they've got and the potential upgrades that they've made, there is a possibility for that. So much of that does revolve around health for both Jones and Saquon and whether they can play up to uh, their the best of their expectations. So we'll ask you, how many regular season wins will the Giants have this year at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain? You can make your guess at that. And also, will Daniel Jones' future be with the Giants? Will he get a long-term deal? Uh, Will he be gone after this season? It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight, talking two-a-days. We're doing Giants and Jets. Let's switch over to the Jets. We're going to talk to a reporter coming up next. But there are some pretty high hopes there as well. Bart Scott on Barton Hahn today talking about how 
they may be above what has been the cream of the crop in that division for a time. Zach Wilson has everything he needs to be the number two quarterback in this division. And if he Whoa. and if he becomes the number two quarterback within this division, then the Jets are not going to be the third best team in the division. They're going to be the second best because if he can play outplay Tua, he has the same weapons on the outside. When you think about Elijah Moore, I know they're young, and Garrett Wilson, but you know the, the addition of Brees Hall, and I think they have the second best offensive line in the division already because the Patriots lost Shaq Mason. I believe that the Jets can be, is the third best team in the division, and they could push for second. I think the Patriots fall to the basement in the cellar of the division. Ooh, Patriots all the way at the bottom. I don't know if I would go that far, but I do think there's an opportunity for there to be a pivot point here for the Jets. They have completely revamped their wide receiver room in the last two off-seasons. They really have more talent than probably they've had on this roster in six, seven years. Um, This is a team that has some optimism. Um, There are some concerns still, though. Offensive tackle. uh, They've got Mekhi Becton versus George Fant. They're kind of battling for left tackle, but they might move one to right tackle. And as high as expectations are for Becton, uh, he has that surgery on his right knee to consider. And he has the weight issues. And when you combine weight issues with a knee problem, you have to wonder what kind of backup they have in case of injury. Um, so they, they need some sort of veteran backup, some sort of insurance policy for him. And then they also have very thin depth at linebacker. So those are some questions. And you're going to need to help your young quarterback with field position, with uh, not making him win in shootouts. And that's going to come down to – uh, defense and the linebacking core and, and what they could do defensively and also protection, which comes on that offensive line. And and that's going to help you figure out just how big a step forward Zach Wilson can take this year. And Dan Graziano was on with KJ and Max talking about what this team expects out of their second year quarterback. The plan all along, the idea all along with Zach Wilson in year one was uh, he would be getting up to speed at the NFL level, a player that really didn't have a lot of experience against high-level competition in college, a lot of experience, period, in college. You know, they all went through the COVID season, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, he did a lot of learning last year. The coaching staff, by the way, a young, inexperienced coaching staff, also did a lot of learning last year, and they, they're all kind of growing together. They felt like they had some things under control with Zach Wilson late last year in terms of limiting turnovers making better decisions and they hope to continue to build on that very excited about the receiver they drafted in the first round the running back they drafted in the second round they feel like they're building something around Zach Wilson they want to see growth from him this year that's the expectation also uh good tight end signings uh and some questions around who will be the the starting tight end the number one but they've got some some good depth at that position for the first time in a while we'll ask you again at Sarah Spain at Spain and Fitz uh how many regular season wins will the Jets have this year you can answer all those polls on Twitter. We'll get your answers a little later in the show. The road to the rematch is on as Bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Is Zach Wilson ready to take a big leap in year two for the Jets? What are their best Uh, most promising elements and where do they need some work we'll get into all of it next as we continue two a days at spain and fitz spain and fitz the podcast 
You guys are absolutely crushing your explanations of Aaron Rodgers' new tattoo. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. Every commercial break, I'm scrolling through, uh, literally LOLing. So much appreciated. I'll, I'll read some of the best later. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're doing two-a-days leading up to camp. We're on day two of two-a-days, and we got the Giants and Jets. And we're on to the Jets here. We'll talk to Connor Hughes, Jets reporter for The Athletic, about expectations for the other New York team, I guess New Jersey, New York. Uh, Connor, Zach Wilson obviously got a lot of um, valid excuses for a slow start last year. How big are expectations for him now this season? Well, they're they're – Certainly higher. I, I think that that's there's there's no denying that. And and the reason for it, I think, is that the you can you can compare the parallels between the way that the Jets have rounded out their roster around Zach compared to what they did not do for Sam Darnold a couple years ago, right? I mean, when when we talked about Sam Darnold towards the end of his tenure with the Jets, it was all about how we didn't know if Sam Darnold could play or if we didn't know if Sam Darnold could not play. And the reason why was because the Jets had failed so miserably at surrounding him with talent, right? I mean, the coaching staff was poor. The offensive line was poor. The playmakers, the running backs, all that stuff, it was poor. So you didn't know why Sam was struggling. Was it because he couldn't play or was it because the Jets just didn't give him any help? Well, that's no longer the case with Zach Wilson. This offensive line, it's not the the Dallas Cowboys line or the Eagles line from a couple years ago, but it's an above-average offensive line. The running back with Brees Hall and Mike Carter – that's a legitimate dynamic one-two punch. The receivers now run four deep with Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, and Braxton Berrios. He's got a defense. Obviously, he's got Michael Floor, an up-and-coming offensive coach. I mean, it's all there for Zach Wilson to succeed. Now it is on Zach Wilson to succeed. And as Robert Salas said earlier in the offseason, he doesn't have to be Tom Brady, but he has to be better because at the end of the day, the Jets are going to go far, go as far as he takes them. Also, Robert Sala, a lot of pressure on him to make good on that pick and to make good on the weapons, the roster, one of the best this team has had in many years. What did you see last year from him, and what are expectations this year? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because the Jets have, have bounced between this this kind of uh, volleyball kind of sort of thing where they go with the, the brash guy, and then they kind of go with the more reserved guy. And then off the more reserved guy, they go with the more brash guy. And so they've tried all these different kinds of things. And I think with Robert Sala, you get the best of both worlds, right? I mean, he is a defensive-minded a defensive minded guy. That's what he was when he was in San Francisco. His defense is there or why he's the head coach of the Jets. But he's not just the defensive coach of the Jets, right? It's not like when Todd Bowles was here and he was just the defensive guy or when Adam Gase was here and he was just the offensive guy and when Rex Ryan was here and he was just the defensive guy, right? I mean, Robert has really assumed this role as the CEO type. You know, he oversees the entire operation and he likes Jeff Ulbrich run his defense. He lets Mike LaFleur run his offense. He lets Brant Boyer run his special teams and then he oversees the entire operation. And by overseeing that operation, he's also kind of able to really infuse this Jets team with emotion, right? I mean, it's the leadership, it's the guidance. They're a very young team. They want somebody to follow. And you spend two or three minutes talking to Robert, and he's one of those guys that you certainly want to do that for. So I think that first-year head coaches, it's kind of tough to tell. You know, when you don't really have the talent around you, it's tough to really have a lot of on-field success. The Jets certainly didn't have a ton of talent next year or last year, which is what makes this year so important because – Again, this roster is substantially better than it was two years ago, substantially better than it was last year, 
Now it's about trying to see this team legitimately turn a corner. It's no longer about talking about tomorrow. It's about making today tomorrow and, and really starting to see this team start playing some, some solid football. Connor Hughes, Jets reporter for The Athletic. Is that a shirt, make today tomorrow? Uh, I feel it. I feel like that's going to be the Jets training camp <laughs> shirt, make today tomorrow. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, obviously. that's going to be how I retire. <laughs> there you go. Uh, trade market, man. Uh, Robert Sala, defensive guy. Uh, so it's just, we're just going to say, you got to get better this year. You didn't have the talent, and that's why you're dead last. Because dead last behind the Texans in yards per game, in total points per game. Um, you know, that that's a, a real bad look for a defensive coach. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest. I mean, the, the defense was a problem last year. And, and I think a lot of the reasons were, were because if you, if you looked at the Jets' defense in its entirety before last season, you know, the, the go, or going into last season, I should say, they had a number of problems, you know, and, and Rome wasn't built in a day. So it wasn't like they were going to fix every single one of their issues in just one off season. They realized that. So, you know, they've kind of slowly but surely been working to, to build this team, build this defense and all that stuff. And that's why when you look at this defense now, they are substantially better in a number of different areas, right? I mean, look at that secondary. We were talking about, uh, Bryce Hall and, and Brandon Eccles being these teams, this team's two starting corners last year. They now have DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner and Mike Carter in the nickel role. And, and when I tell you that Sauce Gardner looks about as good as advertised or as good as a guy, or as good as a guy could have looked throughout that OTA practices, I am not underselling that at all. You look at the defensive line, as long as Carl Lawson can stay healthy, the Jets run about 10 deep there with Carl Lawson, Quinn and Williams, Sheldon Rankins. Uh, the, the kid they drafted in the first round, Jermaine Johnson, then Michael Clemens as well, Bryce Huff, who they're super high on. The safety position, it's better with Jordan Whitehead, and they brought back LaMarcus Joyner, and the linebacker position is pretty good too with C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams. So there is and has been an infusion of defensive talent and an infusion of talent on the defensive side of the ball, which should lead to better success. Now what I will say is that I don't know if you're necessarily going to see it early on in the season because of that that train wreck of a schedule that the Jets have where it is just murderer's row of tough opponent after tough opponent after tough opponent that they're going to face. And with so many new faces on defense, it's going to take time for them to gel. But I think you will eventually see, might start seeing in week three, week four, week five, and the rest of the season, a significant improvement on defense because there has been a significant talent infusion on that side of the ball. Now, I will say that the one area that I do have some concerns with and the one area that I did not see the Jets improve and the Jets didn't really invest resources in is fixing that run defense because it was one of the worst in the NFL. I think they were averaging uh, yards allowed like over 130. I think it was 132 point something yards per game. And what they did was they let their best run stopper and run stopper and fully Fatukasi go in free agency. They never really replaced him. So I do have some concerns on that side of the ball or on that aspect of the defensive side. Um, but aside from that, I think their pass rush is going to be a lot better. Their secondary is substantially better. And then they're just going to have to figure out a way to be better against the run. Connor, we're out of time. So just using a number of wins, what would a successful season look like? Anywhere from seven to eight. I think if this team gets to All seven right. to eight wins, that's a legitimate step. Awesome stuff. Thanks, Connor. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Connor Hughes, Jets reporter for The Athletic. You can follow him at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Seven or eight wins does sound like a success for the Jets as they continue to build. We'll see what you guys said in your predictions for how many wins they'll get this season. We'll get back to lots of NFL talk and Aaron Rodgers tattoo talk, but we got to talk some NBA. Where is Kevin Durant going 
And what other moves are on the horizon for NBA teams this offseason? We'll get into all of it next. Spain and Fitz. How am I supposed to cut into my prerogative? Come on, man. You can't play this song and then expect me to talk hoops instead. But that's what I'll do. That's what this show's about. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain. ESPN Radio. ESPN App. Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm going to talk a little NBA free agency with senior NBA columnist for The Athletic, John Hollinger. And, John, let's start with the obvious question. I'm sure you know the answer, and you were waiting to come on this very program to reveal it. Where is Kevin Durant going? To dinner tonight? <laughs> if you know that, it would still be more than I know. <laughs> and, 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 and it would still get retweeted 100,000 yeah, times. Yeah, it would. Um, it would. Yeah. Um, no, so it's an interesting situation because – it's a little bit like the Ben Simmons situation last year, unfortunately, in that there is no real time frame where Brooklyn has to make this deal. Kevin Durant is signed for four more years. So it's, it's in their interest to probably do something sooner rather than later just to get on with their lives, especially as the start of the season draws closer. But there's no deadline like this week or next week or whatever. So we could be dealing with this all summer potentially. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, is it as much of a stranglehold on the league as we initially thought, or have there been enough teams that have sort of been able to remove themselves from the possibility that some of the other free agency move can, can start to get happening? Or are we really on a giant pause until we figure out where KD goes? It seems to me that the only thing that's really being held up is maybe DeAndre Ayton, because Phoenix, the scenarios where Durant ends up in Phoenix almost have to involve a DeAndre Ayton sign and trade probably to a third team that is not Brooklyn. And so that, that gets complicated. So, but if you, if you look around, basically all of the other major free agents have signed a contract except uh, Cleveland's Colin Sexton, I think is basically the only other one uh, there's, I mean, Miles Bridges hasn't, but that's a totally other situ- other situation. Um, so I, I don't think it's really holding up, free agency for the most part. I do think what it's holding up is maybe some trade activity because we, since the Gobert blockbuster, we haven't really seen anything. Yeah. And usually you see a little more fireworks on the trade market at this time of year, teams supplementing their free agent moves or making different arrangements based on what they were or were not able to do. And I thought we would see more of that, especially this year because the free agent crop wasn't that great. So it's it's hard to know what trades were like almost, you know, at the one yard line and not done because of it, because the teams don't tell us about this stuff. Right. <laughs> but uh, it seems to me that there's trade activity that has been held up because people are waiting on the Durant domino first. Which move do you think is better? I'm talking to John Hollinger, by the way, of the athletic NBA columnist. Uh, obviously, the Celtics didn't have that much to improve upon, but they still go out and get Brogdon, which is huge. And then you've got a team in the T-Wolves with lower expectations than the Celtics, but make this big move with Gobert. Which one is actually better for the team that they arrived on? I like the Brogdon move better for a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I thought it solved the exact need that, that Boston had, and that was displayed in the finals last year where they needed another ball handler. They needed a little more depth. Their bench got outplayed in the finals and they're basically pretty close. Um, And they didn't really give up anything of significance in order to pull that trade off. Um, So I I thought that was a really good deal for them. 
the Gobert trade was interesting because they just gave Carl Towns this massive extension and then traded for an all-star player at the same position. And the, the idea is that Towns struggles on defense and Gobert can protect him, but playing two centers at the same time is definitely unproven, shall we say, in the pace and space mm-hmm, era, mm-hmm. right? So, and they pushed all their chips in to do this on a team that was good, but I don't think anyone thought was really a contender yet. So I, that one makes me a little nervous because there's just a lot more potential for it to blow up on them. It's Spain and Fit Solo Spain, talking to John Hollander of The Athletic about NBA free agency. Uh, I know that there's plenty of teams that may still blow up because Kevin Durant will need to go somewhere or is likely to go somewhere. What about teams that may not be involved in that, but you still expect to make a big move before this offseason is over? You know, we're still waiting for the other shoe to drop on John Collins with Atlanta. There's a, lo- there's a lot of smoke around him leading up to the draft and even ahead of free agency and nothing has happened yet the Hawks already made their move for DeJounte Murray but nobody really expects uh, John Collins to stay there so it's really interesting to see how that will play out Uh, we mentioned DeAndre Ayton before but I think Mm -hmm. either way I'm not sure he's going to be back in Phoenix so I think that's a really interesting situation to monitor and then I, I still think there are a couple teams around the periphery that could do some stuff. Uh, Memphis, I think, is still still a team to watch just because the the they have a lot of they have one extra contract. They have a lot of different assets they could use in a trade. I, I think they'll be patient and careful, but I also think they can put themselves into almost any deal with the flexibility they have. So they're a team to watch. And then San Antonio being so far under the cap is going to be another team to watch because they can take on a big contract from someplace else. What about the Jazz? Do you think that they're going to build around Mitchell, or is it still possible he goes and it's a full rebuild? I think that would that would only happen if they got a Gobert-type offer. Like, I, I don't think plan A is that. I think, I think Danny Ainge is flexible enough to pivot to that if he gets completely blown away by a trade offer. Otherwise, I think they're going to go ahead on – on this pathway and rebuild around Mitchell. I mean, and I think that's defensible from the perspective that it, I thought they, that previous iteration of the Jazz had pretty much run its course. Right. So let's let's see how this goes. But yeah, I I I would bet on I would bet more on Mitchell being there this October than not being there. And Spain and Fitz talking to John Hollinger. You can follow him at John Hollinger. Again, without KD's movement and what dominoes might fall as a result, it's tough to say. But right now, do you see the East or West looking demonstrably different than what you thought before the offseason moves began? Maybe a little more of the West. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be a really tough neighborhood again. Uh Minnesota is definitely trying to push up. The Clippers are going to be much better with Kawhi back. Uh, Denver, I think, is still really interesting. They added Bruce Brown. They get Jamal Murray back. They hopefully will get a healthy Michael Porter back. You you still have Memphis there. You have the defending champs in Golden State. Like I, I just think that's a really tough neighborhood out west. Portland, too, is trying to get back into it after they basically tanked uh, the second half of last season. So I think it's going to be really interesting, really tough in the Western Conference. Yeah, Uh, and 
Yet to be seen uh, what what Kevin Durant does to any of those teams or the rest of the league, of course. So there's that. Let's quickly before I, I let I, you go. Go ahead. I should have added the Lakers with Kyrie Irving there yeah. too, although mm-hmm. we can't, can't can't say that one yet. But I wouldn't it be shocked. Doesn't seem if it like happened. anyone else is really uh, in the mix for him. Uh, but yes, sure. we should I suppose wait to make it official. Uh, what do you what do you think about the Chet Holmgren hype? Uh, is are there more people that learned that he might actually be good, or more people that are now a little bit maybe too high on him based on one summer league Godwin? Yeah, I you know. It's tough to get too high or too low on summer league. It, it does have some predictive value if you go back and look historically. It's I'm just I'm just not sure how how much relative to real NBA games. It's definitely encouraging to see him come out and just dominate like this. But we've seen this happen other times with other rookies where they looked amazing at the start of summer league and then didn't really to perform at the same level once right. the real game started. And then we've also seen other guys really struggle in their, in their first summer league games. And then it turns out they're totally fine. So I, I would, I would caution getting too high or too low on that. Although, I mean, if you're a Thunder fan and watch your team get their brains beat in for the last two seasons, it certainly has to feel great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, give us a call if you find out where Kevin Durant's going to dinner. Okay. Okay. You'll be, you'll be my first text. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Coming up, what does Aaron Rodgers' tattoo mean? We asked the important question of the day, and you delivered. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Some content coming out now from a Bring BG Home rally. Uh, in Phoenix, crowd is continuing to grow, media covering it as well. Uh, I, to be honest, hadn't heard about it, but uh, a couple hundred fans already gathering at Footprint Center. Uh, this is the biggest organized event thus far for Brittany Griner that we've seen in Phoenix. Most of the team is there, Tori Craig from the Suns and Myers Drysdale, Brittany's wife. Um, and they did some work uh, delivering shoes around the community in honor of BG because of the work she's done Uh with uh, her heart and soul shoe drive in the past, um, donating shoes to the community, to those in need. So um, they are continuing to try to bring attention to it. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, Joe Biden, president, did speak to Brittany's wife and receive a letter from Brittany. So the energy around her return, uh, hopefully growing. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we've been talking about uh, uh, the Giants and Jets tonight as we continue our two-a-days. And so we had a bunch of questions that we asked all of you, your expectations for the two teams out of the New York area. And uh, you guys are a bit more optimistic about the Jets, I think, or maybe it's pretty close, actually. Uh, with the Jets, regular season wins, 45% of you think they'll have 0-4 to four. That would make them worse or the same as last year. They were four wins last year. 50.8% of you have them winning five to eight games, and 4.3% of you have them winning nine plus. As for the Giants, fairly close. 44.9% of you have them winning zero to four. Again, they had four wins last year as well. 52.4%, five to eight, and just 2.6% of you have them winning more than nine games. That may be tied to your feelings on Daniel Jones. 
the quarterback uh, through the first, I think, four years here, uh, underwhelming, almost as many turnovers as touchdowns, but certainly difficult with three different coaches, uh, porous offensive line, weapons that are injured, his own injuries. And this is sort of the poop or get off the pop moment for that team and Daniel Jones, the contract. Uh, they can get out of it after this year and we'll have to decide on a long-term dealer to let him go. And so I asked if his future will be with the Giants. 7.9% of you only said yes, he'll get a long-term deal. 92.1% of you said he's gone after the 22-23 season. So not a lot of hope in Daniel Jones proving himself and sticking around. I also asked about Baker Mayfield. The news today that Baker Mayfield is headed to the Panthers in a trade, thus ending the incredibly awkward situation of him still technically being on the Browns. We still have to get to that Jimmy G situation that has not been addressed out West. But one of the two cringe situations for quarterbacks has been resolved. He's sent to the Panthers, and I asked if you think he'll win the starting gig. Now, I think talent-wise... Most would agree, I think, that Baker's got more in the tank than Sam Darnold. But the complicating factor is the amount of money owed to Darnold, and that sometimes is what moves a team's decision-making. But you agree that talent-wise, it's more likely that Baker steals the gig. So 77.5% of you say Baker will win the starting gig and by week one. Now that's important because week one is against the Browns. Yes, praise be the content lords who gave us the gift of Panthers-Browns week one. So as long as Baker wins that gig week one, uh, we will see that matchup. 15.3% of you said he will win the gig, but it'll be midseason. And 7.2% of you think Darnold is QB1. So we're, we're trying to get your perspective on some of these teams as we approach camp. And, and the Jets and the Giants, uh, these are two teams that we'll be keeping an eye on for hopefully the kind of progress you need to see after changes in coaching and management in recent years, off-season selections, high draft picks that they need to make count. The question is whether that'll actually happen for these teams. Um, and so much of that will certainly depend on development of their quarterbacks. Bart Scott said earlier today he sees the Patriots as the bottom dwellers and the Jets making great strides over them. I'm not quite there yet. I'm on a wait and see for that one. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. The other big news of the day, uh, obviously, is Aaron Rodgers' first tattoo. Uh, Aaron Rodgers posted about uh, his new ink, posted a photo of it on Instagram. Uh, what remains the very best response to it uh, is what Kyle A. Madsen wrote, tattoo artist. What do you want to do today, Aaron Rodgers? Have you ever heard Kyrie Irving talk? artist say no more fam uh that remains the best response but i asked all of you if you could explain what you see in this very complicated tattoo and some of you really hit it out of the ballpark uh angry bears fan dad ma'am said there's only one way we'll ever find out the real meaning of aaron Rodgers, miss cleo creation and i'm not about to drop 3.99 per minute Call Miss Cleo now. Or I guess I should say, call Miss Cleo now for your deep and meaningful astrology tattoo symbols. That's a deep cut for the youngsters out there. Just Google Miss Cleo if you don't know what that's all about. Um, Caitlin Warwick said it's like he took every gas station t-shirt he's ever seen and said, do that. Which one? All of them. <laughs> it's missing a wolf howling at the moon. Other than that, I think you nailed that. Um... Uh, I like this one. Uh, Lapel Show said, I bet if you ask him directly, he'll definitely be 
Uh, he definitely won't be cryptic and will explain everything. Yes, that's very much his style. Um, uh, somebody else said as uh, uh, a Masonic temple ceiling drawing, to which somebody responded, I think you mean moronic temple. <laughs> uh, Ryan Wisniewski said, so you got that Illuminati eye and the two lions. What that says is that in a society where one is elevated past celebrity to almost icon status, you end up someone thinking they're smarter than they are because they never have to worry about money or lack of acceptance. <laughs> yep. Uh, jrunner82, I paid a very talented artist a lot of money to let everyone know I read Ayn Rand. <laughs> Ayn Rand. Um, Big Mitch said, it's the play they should have called on fourth down against the Bucks. <laughs> uh, Chip Boudreaux, looks like a clock arrow pointing to 12, which is his jersey number. His zodiac is Sagittarius, so the center constellation and the arrow stand for that. The other two signs are Virgo and Aquarius, so maybe his parents, but I don't get the lines, although he does own them. I doubt it's an homage to his parents, Chip. Uh, I would Google that. Uh, Derek James NBA, Aaron Rodgers with an open third eye is immediate red flags. Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, Michael Lore says it means I'm immunized. <laughs> uh, Bake says it looks like if Pink Floyd ever made a bookmark, this would be it. Uh, by the way, this is uh, everyone explaining Aaron Rodgers' new tattoo. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend checking out the visuals that we're describing here. Uh, right Coast Cool says it's a journey of a fart from conception to release. Lori Barnett says it means nobody's talked about me in several months, so I got this and I'm relevant again. <laughs> Starving homeowner. Without knowing it's Aaron Rodgers, I can tell you that this individual has a man bun and a beard. That checks out. Absolutely. Shah Tata says it's the NFL's definition of a catch. That checks out. Uh, I appreciate uh, Dave from TR1. If a conspiracy theory would, were a tattoo, it would look like this. <laughs> uh, as will Daddy I, E-Y-E, want to be traded to the Lions? I do not think that is the case. I will tell you that much. I definitely don't think that's the case. Uh, he's doing just fine uh, up in Green Bay. Although uh, somebody, somebody did say there are two Lions that live within you, one that believes in... Uh, uh, astrology and bleep and one that's never won a Super Bowl. And those are the two lines in the tattoo. Uh, Andy Mkbai says Unagi. Uh, that's friends reference. Google that one. Um, a lot of people look say it looks like the cover of the new Dan Brown novel. Uh, at Kermudge John said, I don't know, but I bet if I told him my birthday, he could tell me what planets are making me sad. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Uh, I, I do think probably it was uh, something to do with his new lady friend who did go on the record saying she's not a witch. But doesn't that sound like something a witch would say? I don't know. I just I'm, I'm not assinuating anything, but uh, I worry about Aaron Rodgers impetuous decision decision making. He has been bouncing around between lady friends for a while. And I'm concerned that this tattoo might be the influence of the latest lady in his life. And I don't know how long it's going to last, and I worry for him. It's a lot of ink. And as people who are experts in tattoos have said, uh, very fine lines, and it may not last forever. Uh, but at least we now know he's not afraid of needles, just vaccinations. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.